0: Welcome to Syntalk. The Talkers around the table today discuss the strong and weak modes. We'll think about strong and weak ties in relationships and their dynamics in a variety of contexts. Are strong ties often redundant? Might distant acquaintances or strangers be a greater source of new information than close friends? Do strengthening and weakening go hand in hand, and when? Does a strong El Nino imply a weak monsoon, and vice versa? Why? How do subsystems and systems get coupled? How is balance of power maintained? Is there always strength in numbers? Can the weak be aggressive? And what is the future of coupling of various systems and its implications for power and resilience? We are pleased and privileged to have three SYN talkers with us here today. Dr. Ramit Apte. He is from ICTS, Bangalore. His research interests are dynamical systems and data assimilation problems in atmospheric and oceanic sciences. Professor Sanjeev Goel, he is an economic theorist who studies networks. He is from Christ's College and the University of Cambridge. And Ashwini Kumar, he is a poet and political theorist and is from TIS in Mumbai. Um, so, Sanjeev, why don't we set the ball rolling with you? Um, you know, you've thought about networks for all these years. Um, what is that imagination like in your head? And, of course, one thinks of them as nodes and connections and um, directedness and all that. But why do weak ties matter? How, how How's that interesting? And we'll kind of link that to the other questions that we want to think about today.
1: So, it's a very broad set of issues you've, um, you've raised. Um, Um, so one could go back a long way. Um, so, so as an economist, um, I think, um, I came to this, um, thinking about networks in, you know, in, which I think it would be good to spend a few minutes for me to actually say a little bit about my own, um, road to thinking about networks because i think it will put in context uh how economists think about networks sure but also i think it will put in context a bit the history of the engagement of economists with 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 networks but also with other disciplines you know like sociology and so on so so i think um if 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 i may I'd just take a few minutes to to say that when i was doing my phd um in the late nineteen eighties, um, the a lot of interest in economics was about information issues. Okay, so you may not know.
0: So you came to it from the direction of information theory, or
1: yeah. So you know the idea, very simple idea, that you don't know uh, a lot about the choices you are making. You know whether you're planting some crops, you're taking up a job, you're going in for some education. You don't know whether you're going to like it. You don't know what kind of job you're going to get at the end of it. So there's all this uncertainty. And, and economists were very um, absorbed thinking about it in the late 80s. And they had this idea that since you don't know things, you're going to try and find out about them. Right. And to make the right decisions. Right. So how are you going to find out about them? Well, you could find out about them you know, by looking at the prices of things. If uh, something is very expensive, it's probably very good, you know. Um, You may uh, find out uh, about it um, by experimenting. You know, you might go and try a crop in the field and then it doesn't work. Then you realize it doesn't work. You try something else. You go into university and you try and you try and, let's say, do political theory. Uh, And then you realize that your true calling is poetry, you know, so, so this is personal experimentation. But the thought I had uh, was this didn't seem to capture something which is very obvious. Uh, and that is that when you don't know about things, you look around and you find out from people around you. And, and often you don't find out from the whole world. You find out from people who are close to you, you know, who are who and also you can talk to them and you should be able to trust them. They should be able to tell you this works for me, but this is not going to work for you.
0: So there's the notion of neighborhoods, but there's also the notion of trust. So distance and trust both.
1: And and so that brings us closer to this whole idea of trust and strong ties and weak ties. Hmm. Because of course, you know, if um, you know, if I ask Ashwini something, uh, he probably honestly share some information with me. Right. Uh, but he, I, we, he and I hardly know each other. So he can't really tell me whether I'm going to like something or whether something's appropriate for me because he and I don't know each other very well. So I can get information about some objective state of the world, but whether something is right for me or not, um, you know, would be harder. That may be something, you know, my wife could tell me. Look, I went and saw something uh, and, you know, this is really for you, you know, uh, and I I can
0: trust her because she knows the sort of person I am. So, so I But think there are there are situations, obviously, and it looks like you're going in that direction, where weak ties still seem to work, the kind of information you aggregate from them or get from them.
1: Yes, yeah, so, of course, uh, weak ties, one needs to be careful about how one defines them, but, but you know, one simple way of thinking about a weak tie is simply uh, a tie that, you know, it's not a close friend, it's not a person you spend a lot of time with, whereas a strong tie is someone... That you've known for uh, all your life, or you spend a lot of time, or a short, let's say, over one year, I spend every day with you, so it becomes a strong tie. Right. Um, but but if you think about it that way, it's it's easy to see that you are going to have a trade off. You can have, you can't have strong ties with millions Everybody. of people. Yep. You can, you know, it's just a physical constraint. Uh, of course, social media allows us to do things that twenty years ago would be unthinkable. So we could have ties with many more people, and probably strong ties with many more people than we could conceive of twenty years ago. Sure. So that's something to be borne in mind, I think, also. But but.
0: So what's the problem here, Sanjeev? When we'll try to pluck that out? So what's the problem for you as an e- economist? So, um, yes. Yeah, so. The theoretical so I, as well as the empirical problem. Yeah. So go when testing. I
1: started thinking about this, so so that we sort of started thinking about learning from people. We started saying, well, okay, you know, uh, you know, this is a late eighties. Uh, we didn't really know anything about we we. I mean, we by that I mean economists, economic theorists who were thinking about these problems. We had not really worked on networks. Sure. We hadn't worked with graph theory. So we were thinking, oh, okay, so if I have to learn, maybe I learn from my predecessor, you know. So I have a sequence of people, each learning from their
0: predecessors, okay. So authors, Uh, co-authors, you mean in that sense?
1: Yes, but but that is a very particular kind of learning. In fact, again, if you think about it, we learn from people and we learn today from them, but then I learn from you and you learn from your friends, but I may not learn from your friends because they're not my friends. Right. That idea really came... To my mind, in the early nineties, with my good friend Vanchibala, who was also with me, uh, and as, as a graduate student, and we then started thinking about these neighborhoods. I know you, but you know someone else, so and I may not know them. So you know, so there is this rich structure of a network, you know, uh, and we didn't really know how to think about it because we hadn't used that sort of mathematics. It's very old, that sort of mathematics. It goes back. Two hundred years, but we didn't know about it. so, so, so yeah, America, the, yeah, yeah. So it goes yeah. back to Euler, and yeah, so Euler. Um, uh, so we started thinking about it, and and what we did was we then started uh, thinking about how the structure of the network is going to shape the way information flows. Right, is going to shape the way you behave, whether you make you know the right choices. And, and when how, you say
0: structure, what do you have in mind? And we'll we'll kind of pluck that out and maybe move forward with the others. But so what do you structure mean when you say structure? Here,
1: you know, uh, so, you know, you can imagine a, a, a situation where, for instance, we are the four of us and we all are talking just with our neighbors. So right. I'm talking to Ashwini and I'm, sure, you know, sure. Uh, but, but I'm not talking across. Right. Okay? But we can have another situation where we are all just talking to you. Right. You know, we are not
0: talking to each other. We're just talking to you, you're the hub. Right. These are very different networks, and the way the information flows, the aggregated, what people have access to, the cost of accessing information, everything changes. So yes. Yeah, so in fact, the
1: main theorem in our paper uh, was that structures which have hubs hmm. typically will lead to, will not be good at transmitting information. They will lead to blockages.
0: Oh, uh, you know, and they will essentially be inefficient. So Sanjeev, your point is that networks or network structures that have hubs are less good at spreading or distributing or accessing information. Is that the point? What exactly is this theorem so that we get the so, sense So right? it's
1: actually, um, uh, the idea is that, um, so the simple idea here is that we have um, a lot of people doing things they're collecting information, they're learning stuff. Um, So, in fact, in the society, there's a lot of information. Right. The issue is that um, it goes back, actually, the way to think about it, it goes back to a a classical problem that Condorcet, you know. Condorcet waves and others. That he had this idea that supposing I show you a buffalo Okay, and I ask you, what is the weight of the buffalo? Okay, you're likely to get it kind of wrong. You know, you might get it just purely by chance. You might say it's 500, and indeed it is 500 kilos, but right. you're likely to say 470. And then I might ask Amit, you know, or I might ask Ashwini, well, what's sure. the weight? And he might say 520. So say had this idea that, well, you know, on... Individually, people get it wrong, but if you average people... Wisdom of the crowd, something like that. There's a wisdom of crowd kind of thing. If you take the average, that will be much closer, you know, to the true weight. So this is an idea that in statistical theory is known as the strong law of large numbers. Sure. Okay, which is a very, it's a major, you know, it's a cornerstone for statistical theory. So now what is happening in in this network setting is imagine that we are all having some signal. We have drawn some idea about the weight of the Buffalo. Uh, And then we, since there are many of us, actually, if we average it, supposing I was connected to everyone, then everyone's signal, everyone's impressions will be communicated to me. And I will say, well, on average, it's 500, you know, and so we can all get it right.
0: But how does the hub break it down? Because then you give too much weightage to that one hub. Well, I've asked the hub.
1: And the hub says, you know, it's five twenty, and that's the only information I have in addition to myself. If you're connected only to the hub, if you're only connected to the hub, right. and of course, the hub might talk to, you know, might talk to other people, and then they may give him, or you know, sure. some some signal, but he will modulate that, you know, and he may not pass it on sufficiently quickly, and and so the hub has disproportionate influence on on society, so this idea. Um, we, in fact, because I was writing this paper while I was visiting England, I called the hub the royal family. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, societies with a royal family are bad for social learning.
2: For for accessing information. And you, that's and you still got a job in the UK.
1: <laughs> well, no, I, so, you know, I, and, and actually many people subsequently have used this royal family example. Right. Um, you know, even two years ago, some famous statisticians have written a royal family paper. Interesting. So, so, but, but that sort of an idea um, about the structure of networks, how they matter.
0: What what does this mean to you, uh, Amit? Obviously, the, the network template is not very good, presumably, about thinking about atmosphere or oceans and things of that sort. Obviously, there are many bodies, so there are many right. body systems in that sense. They're dynamical systems. Yes. But yeah. uh, your, your toolkit and your conceptual vocabulary is something else. So how do you it, think about this? So uh,
2: one big difference... Uh, in this case, is that really, the? if you want to think about the atmosphere in terms of, say, network, so you think of, let's say, different places as the nodes, or different uh, variables, temperature, humidity, and so on, as the nodes and at different places. The main problem is that you can't create a structure on your own right the structure is given to you right in some sense you can't you don't have the leeway to say that oh let me try to see what will happen if I change the structure where the New York node is talking to Mumbai and not and so on and so forth we don't have that Liberty. The structure is defined by the physics of the problem that is everything here is talking something uh, to something next to it and to next to it and so on and so forth but this is local there
0: something is there something stable about new york as far as atmosphere is concerned about stable no actually a, uh, tropics,
2: in some sense tropics are more st- m- it it's funny tropics are more unstable but on short term they have a, a bit more predictability right uh but there isn't anything really stable about a single node in the atmospheric. Uh, si- if you if you think in terms of network, every node essentially has the same kind of importance, and every tie has the same importance. In other words, so there, there, are there are no is no
0: such thing as a node, in, at least in the strict sense in which somebody like Sanjay would conceive of it. Yeah, exactly, so and, and
2: that's pre- largely why. Uh, these so notions there, there of no sp- networks are not very heavily used in in atmosphere ocean uh, communities but
0: there are still and many body systems they are they bodies. are obviously yeah. very dynamical so how, yeah. how does one go about thinking of them and how how do these strong and weak dynamics get created what's the way in which they right. interact so i
2: think you brought in that word which is which is the one that is more commonly used strong mm-hmm. and weak dynamics rather than uh and rather than strong and weak ties or so the strength of connection is not the main issue. It's uh, the emergence of the so the so solution has a property of something being strong, something being weak, but not the structure of the problem itself. And that's that's a difference. So that's why instead of the strength or the weaknesses of the of, of this structure, Uh, the strength and weaknesses of different aspects of the solution are important. Uh, And those are very closely related to the instabilities in the system. Mm -hmm. So something that is unstable usually tends to become stronger. Uh, Something that is stable then remains what it is and hence eventually can become weaker. And so the instabilities are very closely related to the strengths and weaknesses rather than the structure of the problem defining the strength and weaknesses. So, see, so strongness and weakness is an emergent phenomenon, I would say, rather than something with which you can, on on which you can have any a priori knowledge per se.
0: So let's uh, let's let's maybe think of this using the notion of stability, which you seem mm-hmm. slightly more comfortable with. Yes. So, if one thinks of atmosphere, for example, which again is very different from the kind of social networks or the kind of human uh, yeah. populated networks that we've been thinking of, what is stable about them?
2: Uh, what is stable about some parts of them? It's not that the sure. whole thing is safe. The whole system may not be stable, but there could be subsystems which are stable. Such as uh, such as for example, uh, take take it, okay so the, the 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 Gulf Stream in the Atlantic Ocean right is a fairly stable structure as of now right it persists over uh, hun- it has persisted over about hundreds of years at least if not more and so that. That structure has persisted, but that's not a uh, that's not part of the architecture of the atmosphere of the ocean. It has happened in fact people do worry about the Gulf Stream shutting off. In which case, Europe will actually get much colder, and so on and so forth. So there are effects that will so have. It, it, so it it's a property of the solution currently that we're experiencing.
0: It could it be could a temporal change. emergent phenomena. It's it could not be. It could be,
2: and most of the times in most systems in the atmosphere and ocean, uh, things are really uh, transient. Hmm. Uh, there isn't a notion of a fixed state where. That's it. You have, you are there and you will not ever change from there. But, that, that does not happen. But given that one the, is
0: talking about atmosphere and oceans, transient could mean several years. Uh, it
2: could mean several years, depending on the time, the kind of phenomena you look at. It could mean, say, a few decades, like the Gulf Stream right. has been around for at least a few decades, probably a few centuries. right. Uh, it could mean a few thousands of years as well. Because uh, in case if you're... Uh, so things that are common over th- so uh, okay uh, the the ice ages versus warm epochs that the earth has gone through are phenomena that stay over several hundreds of years to thousands of years.
0: But at a snapshot and, in time, yeah. Amit, would it be fair to say that strengthening and weakening go together? So if, if there was some weather phenomena or climactic phenomena or atmospheric phenomena, and if, let's say there's a, I don't know, very strong Gulf Stream or very strong monsoon in another part of the world, this would be coincidental with weakening of another... Uh, now, obviously, so, should, str- so
2: So the strong and weak does not always go together in that sense. It could be that strong things go together or weak things go together, or it could be that strong and weak go together as well. And uh, all of these do happen. Uh, So one example of a strong, weak phenomena is uh, what you mentioned in the introduction, El Nino monsoon tie. When the El Nino is strong... Uh, then the monsoon is weak but there is nothing intrinsic about that if you happen to define everything by La Nina rather than by El Nino then you would say that when La Nina is weak then the monsoon is weak
0: again there's not definition. It's a, it's
2: just a, there is no definition there is no it's not there isn't a uh, since it's emergent properties you you are free to you cannot draw in,
0: causal link between the two
2: for, for one you cannot draw causal link and for two uh, there is a Arbitrariness in defining what is strong and what is weak. But it's
0: not coincidental, or is it? Is it coincidental that El Nino, a strong El Nino goes with a weak monsoon?
2: Right now, we do not understand the causal relation. (laughs) And hence, we do not know whether it is simply correlation that is no causal link at all, or that we have not yet found a causal link. Is
0: Earth's atmosphere Um, one system?
2: It is one. Atmosphere, ocean land and sea ice all of that is one system yes and that's called the earth system
0: so would you be a little reluctant to say that it it, it should not be coincidental I mean would it be fair to say that I would be
2: reluctant to say it's not coincidental but finding the causal connections could be very hard for example in this case it's not known the causal connection between El Nino and La Nina or uh, sorry El Nino and Monsoon in fact it's debatable whether it's from El Nino to monsoon. It could be that monsoon actually affects El Nino. If, if that's, that's feasible. Right now, all we know is a correlation. And that cannot be translated into a causal connection yet. Uh, but yes, I most people, I think, as far as I can say, would be reluctant to say that it's purely coincidental. Right. There must be some connection that we have failed to understand as of now. Right. And... Uh, but, but all of this goes in in, in in talking about, for example, you could imagine a Earth where there is no El Niño at all ever happening. And that's a possible state of the Earth. It just is not our Earth, but it is a possible solution of the same set of equations, the same structure. So uh, that's why I said it's a property of the solution rather than the intrinsic structure of the system itself.
0: Interesting. Why don't we travel to your world, Ashwini? Uh, the world of human beings, political systems. Um, and I want to be able to start by dipping into the political theorist in you. And of course, we'll get to your poetic side as we go along. Um, but what what is this notion of strength and weakness as far as you're concerned? And why... You know, it it seems like, and we'll go and ask Sanjeev this question a little while later, but it looks like hubs tend to develop. And is there a tendency for systems to centralize? Why does it happen? Um, And and centralizing, obviously, I'm making it synonymous with the idea of something becoming strong, having an inordinate amount of power, in in a sense. This is a very, very intriguing uh,
3: starting point. Uh, If you look at the history of political theory and philosophy, there has been a fascination with the idea of strong or a strength and uh, all over the world today we are talking about you know great leaders probably more in terms of their strength a strength could be uh, mythic strength a strength could be you know a structural body strength muscular strength uh, charismatic strength so there has been uh, you know this fascination since age-age. so uh, this uh, the is idea
0: just ability to influence things? yeah yeah Yeah. If you look
3: at, you know, go back to the Greek political theory, especially Plato and Aristotle and Plato was really, uh, you know, developed a certainly a dangerous idea of eugenic. So the philosopher king is not just philosophically elevated, uh, you know, king, but also in the, you know, if you Plato's idea of uh, uh, creating a a guardian guardian elite uh, is based on eugenics. So he wanted to control marriage and produce only a strong, powerful philosophic uh, leadership
0: uh, so throughout the history, if you look at uh, but those are interventions uh, of some kind or at least, you know if you let systems be as they are, and I know there's no such thing like that, so that's uh, the, the yeah. first, what we have to grasp
3: that uh, uh, both in real life and also in the philosophical. And what I call ontological explanations of the idea of strength and strong has been with us Uh. for ages, even in the Christian and Hindu theologies, if you look at God is beneficent and magnificent because it's powerful when arjuna went to the battleground and he found uh, you know moral and ethical conundrum krishna had to show his virat roop the magnificent the large physical and he really you know uh, persuaded him by showing that virat roop the great giant uh, you know the strain the power of the god to believe me because i am i'm, I'm going to help you to execute what you need to execute so both at the level of the system, you know, the system means political systems and social systems. There has been this fascination with the idea of a strength and a strong. In reality, modern researchers in biology and also in economics, you know, Sanjeev would inform more about us and, and Amit also. The researchers indicate that the idea of a strong and weakness, going back to, you know, this groundwater's thesis of social embeddedness, are blurred, they are not binary, they are blurred. And, and these are transient and contingent idea. But in political theory, in political theory, and also in poetry, in poetry, one of the reasons Plato, you know, banished poets out of his uh, kingdom is that poets were trying to trying to create something, you know, weak. The whole idea. If you look at history of democracy, democracy was perceived as a weak system, as opposed to the powerful monarchical system. So Plato and Aristotle together hated the idea of democracy. So, my sense is that uh, given, uh, you know, across board, uh, and especially in sciences, uh, sciences, post-enlightenment sciences. So,
0: uh, Ashwini, there is, because it is in democracy in the way you uh, think of it in a slightly laymanish way, there is this belief that there's strength in numbers. But it looks like, and even from the way you were talking about it, Sanjeev, it, it looks like what matters is the number of connections. Huh? Is, uh, with, but with, but, but with,
3: I want to come in here. Yeah. But conceptually, if you look at uh, you know both in Greek political theory and going back to the classical Indian political theory on democracy, democracy is the rule of the weak. Hmm. You know, weak will inherit the earth. Meek not shall the, earth yeah. Yeah. So, so, both in Christian theology and Hindu theology, democracy came very late to us. Yeah. I mean, like one of the reasons Sambedkar worried about democracy that is not the hospitable soil for democracy. India is not. So because the rule of the weak, the rule of the subaltern, the, ru- the rule of the ruled is itself isn't a weak idea. So democracy is a weak idea. And that's the reason in Turkey, in, in Hungary, in America, in India, there is a fascination, there is a growing enchantment with the idea of strength and, and a strong. So, so I guess uh, uh, in many ways, uh, uh, for instance, in economics, weak ties uh, create perhaps uh, more you know social engagement or civic engagement. You know, Robert Putnam, uh, while well, we read him very closely, uh, the idea of engagement and the trust and solidarity could be produced by weak ties. So, weak ties are not always weak. They lead to efficient outcomes as well, but in political theory and philosophy, also in the history of science, and especially if you look at the works of neo-Darwinians today, in the context of post, uh, uh, you know, humanistic project or transhumanism, strong has come to overtake our political imagination. Hmm. So, democracy faces this new challenge. Democracy is being, you know, subverted by this ontological idea of strong. So, strong shall rule and weak shall be ruled. So, what is that structure?
0: What is, I mean, if you think of it as a network, is this the structure where the hub somehow sits at the top and everything else is folding? How does one conceive of it structurally?
1: So, Azhut Ashwini has raised a number of, very interesting points. Hmm. So it it just so turns out, it's it's just a coincidence that yesterday when I flew from Ahmedabad to Mumbai, I was actually reading The Republic by by Plato. Hmm. I'm so delighted. (laughs) And, you know, and uh, I don't know, of course, much of political theory, but um, I just wanted to, uh, uh, and I don't mean to follow up on your comments on Plato and Aristotle, but what I did think you know, you were saying about the nature of democracy and, you know, the rule of the ruled. Um, One of the things that, uh, and your connection with weak ties, one observation that's that's sort of worth making um, is is that um, I always, you know, I've been thinking about this since last year, this idea that you have a country like China, okay? It does things in a certain way, and 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 actually most people many people rather senior respected people in uh, senior economists certainly think that this is not a system that can that can work in fact they have said so publicly it should not work a, in theory it cannot it should not work in theory they're waiting for it to fail right okay similarly uh, most people thought the democracy could not work in India, yeah. right. you know, mm-hmm. when and they thought true. it was, they were waiting for it to fail. In fact, every little thing that happened, they said, well, you know, we said it all along, you know, right. this is not something that can work in India. So I think one of the challenges for social theory and actually any sort of, I think one of the challenges of, you know, the world is creating is on the one hand, why does democracy work in India? You know, there's no, uh, any of the traditional arguments would fail in India. Similarly, I think there's a question of why does China manage to run the country that it does? Everybody believes that this is impossible. You can't run a country like China and, and, the and, way you and, run it. And, you and know, it with one it. party, is growing, you know, the way it does. You go to Shanghai, you, nobody believes that you can create a st- city like Shanghai, right. you know, running the country the way you do. Uh, but it does. And, and I think you have to ask, one challenge might be, is it the social structure? You know, a lot of people believe that social structures in India are of a very particular kind. Maybe it's history, maybe it's culture, but certainly social structures here are very distinctive. You know, there's so many things which are rather distinctive about the Indian system. Oddly enough, when I read Plato, uh, I'm reminded of the caste system because he talks about hierarchies of people. He doesn't use the word caste, of course, but, you know, it's it can't be that far from it's the way people... It's a similar notion. Yeah, it's a very similar notion. It's actually eerie reading it means 5444450 4, bc you know he was right. writing this uh, but one can't help wondering whether the social systems that we have in india and we have in china allow for the kind of you know the combinations of weak and strong ties the notions of hierarchy we have
0: so uh, what is your instinct uh, intuition on this uh, sanjeev is it is it that there is some kind of a pre-existing social system on which a certain kind of political system is able to couple onto it a little bit better than others so I mean, you know there is a very uh, is there something about that relation that makes it work yeah so so there is a,
1: a idea that well one could say you know it's a traditional idea but it was i think very well articulated in karl polanyi's work yeah, the great yeah. transformation yeah uh, and it is actually a very radical idea. Uh, so, economists think of.
0: Economy markets. being inside society. So, economists
1: sure. think, you know, by and large, you talk to an average economist, they will say, do I want a large government or a small government? And usually, when you say large government, it means a small market right. for most economists. I would say most economists, if not all economists. But if you read Polanyi, he actually makes the point that you can have a big market. Only when you have a big government, right? Because the big market means a lot of things, which are only possible. You have legal systems, you have executive, and so on. So that's a world where somehow, um, you know, he's thinking of a world where the state and markets are complements. They right. go together, right? Um, and actually, they go together at the expense of society. So this is the Thatcherite idea. You know, Thatcher said there aren't there is no society. You, you know, there are families, there are people, there yeah, are families, true. and okay. then there's, there's no such thing as society. But but if you go to Putnam, this is what Ashwini was saying. So Putnam's, I think, a big idea is you can't have a democratic political system without having lots of social ties.
0: So what would you? Let's enumerate the systems. So what are social systems, economic systems, legal systems? I know they all overlap with each other. So yes. one is not putting them on different tables. What else? Some kind of cultural... Yeah, yeah, so I mean, I have been
1: thinking about it in terms of the state or right. the political system and social I, I'm going system. in the direction
0: of trade-offs, right? So yeah. do they kind of feed onto each other? Are the relationships parasitic, synergistic?
1: Yeah, so there is a view, for instance, that, you know, the state and the market are substitutes. Hmm. You know, you expand the market and shrink the state. Hmm. This is the neoliberal idea. Hmm. But there's also this idea... But when
0: you do this, you treat these two as the only candidates inside the room, but there are other candidates. No? So
1: this so. is, I would say, you know, unless you talk to a sociologist, that's what <laughs> people normally talk about. Right. So if you bring a sociologist in, um, then, you know, the sociologist or, you know, someone like Putnam, they would say, well, you know, if you want a state, you need lots of society. Right. So so that would be a vision that says, if you want lots of markets, you need lots of government. But if you want the government to deliver, you need lots of society, lots of social associations, you know, fl- you know, lots of weak ties. So where are of- you on
0: this, Sanjeev? I know you may not have reached a, even a tentative position, but what's your instinct? Uh, so, so this is one of the things I
1: want to if one If one wants to make that strong, weak grid uh, and re- relationships. Yeah, I mean, I, my, my sense is I've been doing, I did some research over the last three or four years on this where, this idea that, you know, markets and let's say society and markets, they go, you know, they go together or they are at each other's expense. Um, I, I don't have a, I mean, I don't, it's very much ongoing work, but my own sense is that there are contexts in which you need, you have complementary relationships and there are contexts where, you know, they're competing and you have to tease it out. And I think my high level thinking about this is that, One of the big differences between India and China, for instance, is that I think uh, for a number of historical reasons, I think China has had a very particular culture, you know, with emperors for very sustained, very long periods of time. India has had a rather different history, although since the coming of the Mughals, we've had essentially a very large empire for all practical purposes, I think for large periods of time and for large parts of India. So, uh, what is
0: your instinct on this, Ashwini? So, uh, if you know, we're trying to put these put society, economy, market, state. And there must be other individuals. You're a poet, so you <laughs> you never want to take the individual away. Just keep making everything very big box and totalitarian. Uh, is there trade off between all of this? Are we are all of these trade off problems? And th- let's think about it a little little unemotionally. Are these yeah. trade off problems? No, no. I'm thinking um,
3: unemotionally. But for a poet to become unemotionally would be, uh, would, be would be a new uh, age. <laughs> poet poet <laughs> work within uh, rasa theory. I mean, like aesthetics. Sure. Uh, So, I was looking at your initial thought about, uh, you know, aesthetics of uh, what it is, you know, we are talking about. Right. Uh, I think uh, less unemotionally, but perhaps uh, objectively speaking, I think, uh, you know, we need to deconstruct. We need to deconstruct the way we conceptualize trade-off. I think trade off is a is a, is a misnomer uh, if you look at uh, you know it's a great uh, yeah is a misnomer uh, the way uh, political theorists and philosophers have worked uh, and if you look at uh, you know Amartya never uses the term trade off uh, if you go through his uh, idea of justice book uh, and just you scan it he never used the term trade off uh, because uh, uh, what we are trying to look at, we are trying to look at uh, that we work in the multiplicities of contingencies, randomness, you know. And Sanjeev is here and uh, Amit would tell even the scientists today, uh, the whole idea of reason or rationality is also a contingent idea. A game theorists continue to inform us that look you know uh, this is uh, you, this is a structural property this rationality which is untrue i mean the way markets fail the way governments fail even so, trade-offs,
0: so what what exactly is wrong with the idea of trade-off that it's preconceived a zero-sum kind of game? Is,
3: it, it, trade-off is based trade-off is based on a binary false binary Yeah, so based on a gain and loss, so if you look at Benthamite tradition, the whole Benthamite tradition is very influential in microeconomics particularly and also sociological, economic sociology is very powerful understanding. On the contrary, on the contrary, if you look at uh, uh, the way we have been trying to deconstruct and look at, uh, you know, I referred to in the beginning when I started talking about the idea of a strong and weak, uh, the post-humanistic project uh, or transhumanism, where we are talking about, uh, you know, AI, artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, I think they don't operate on the idea of trade-off. Right. They don't operate on the idea of utility. I, will, I was looking at the literature and I found out it's very intriguing but profound information that we get from the future that there in future there shall be no trade off sanjeev because the artificial intelligence based robots robots and they you know they don't require trade off they they operate in a world you know on the other hand economic sociology has informed us sanjeev's own work has informed us that there is a multiplex of a strong and weak ties Where, and weak. so yeah. i'm going to go back to this idea and and just coming back as, so that you know i can provoke all of us into thinking that this idea it has a ontological status so we need to deconstruct that ontology so that we can get to the point of reconstructing the meaning of trade and,
0: and 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 is there a, is there a candidate notion in place of trade offs one is to say that trade offs are kind of you know they are you know they they have too high a status. It doesn't deserve it. In many systems, they could be emergent phenomena. There could be energy is not constrained. Um, it is not really zero sum. But what takes its place? Where are you on this, Sanjeev? I mean, is yes. I think we don't want I to, quite
1: agree with uh, what Ashwini is saying in the following sense that I think people have this idea that, uh, for instance, you know, going back to this, you know, state versus markets. Uh, my sense, or you know, social relationships and markets. So I think a classical idea in economic, in in social theory, is that in traditional societies, pre-industrial societies, a lot of economic activities takes place and within social, is socially embedded. But as you go into a modern industrialized society... It becomes a
0: separate domain.
1: It becomes a separate domain. Right. And and indeed, um, you know, that they are somehow... But, but of course, it may be, and I think more and more we are getting to this understanding, for instance, in the Indian context, to work, to, to succeed in a market, to succeed in the competitive market, you need to have friends. You need to have the right kinds of... If you want to get the capital quickly, you want to get certain kinds of risky investments in place quickly. You need to have the right connections. You need to have people who are going to back you.
0: And 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 what does it do? When you say friends, what do you mean?
1: So one of the, I think, most striking facts about the world is that in India you have communities hmm. dominating sectors. You have hmm. business groups. You have. Uh, in many developing countries. And that
0: to you is not just an information edge because, you know, there could be all kinds of tacit knowledge that has kind of got, gotten contained in those communities and that's the reason it works. Is is, it, no, so is was, it an informational point? It looks like it's more than that, at least the way you... No, I was thinking about it, you know,
1: as a situation where I think it's this is what I, I, I took away from Ashwini's comment, that I think you have a market, something has emerged, uh, now there are opportunities... But to take, make full use of those opportunities, you need skills, you need information, you need a group of people acting quickly right. and efficiently. And and to do that, it's just good to have the right social network. Hmm. It could be ethnic network, it could be a caste network. Sure. And if you look around in developing countries, increasing, you know, whether it's in Malaysia, it's in Africa, it's in in South America, you have small ethnic minorities. As soon as the market opens up, they take over the country. Right. So it's not—it's just the. So it's not a world of trade-offs. In fact, it's a world of opportunities. Right. Networks. It's an ecological phenomenon. You right. Know, you, they, some thing, Environment changes. Certain organisms expand. You
0: know. Amit, uh, yeah. so, so I just
2: wanted to add. Uh, I mean, essentially, uh, what what you're pointing to is how networks evolve. Yes. Yeah. In time as yes. well. Right? Yeah. And and so. Yeah, I'm,
0: and can I'm, different kind of networks start feeding upon each other, right? I mean, do they do they end up strengthening each other in some way? Right. So that can. So how
2: does? Uh, so there there are two aspects. One is if you just think of a network as a static structure that's given to you, and then and and then on top of it, some changes are happening. Dynamics is happening. That's one way to think. The other way is to see how the changes that are happening within the network are actually also changing the structure of the network itself right right and so that i think your last uh, uh, the last point that sanjeev was making about how you know for example a market opens up and how the the existence of different ethnic communities what effect does that have on a market that opens up as opposed to a society where such ethnic communities will yes, not exist Yes, exactly. and there uh, the the evolution of these networks will be different and so uh, these these dynamical aspects i think are are something that cause uh, these networks to react differently so i was i was listening to uh, your description of china and india and so on i i feel like one of the things that is uh, that that's somehow uh, i i find not sufficiently addressed uh, in many studies related to networks and so on, is how does the dynamics on the network interact with the structure of the network itself in the first place? And how that, you know, how that can, instead of thinking of uh, stability or strength and so on, uh, purely can, as a can static concept?
0: Can very local interactions change? global structures uh, it, uh, it's not
2: clear it's not clear whether we have a good answer for that yet what about but I think the, the closest that it comes to what about physical to, systems, uh, systems uh, So, okay, so in, in physical systems it's much harder to uh, to think of it like that but evolving system biology is a much better example where uh, what's happening to the system actually changes the network itself and so how for example new, neural networks evolve uh, or how uh structures of different chemical reactions happening within a cell or between the different cells and so on.
3: But can I how com- that
2: changes over time as an evo- evolution, it's something that is very actively studied and I'm not sure uh, there is a very good answer to the question that you asked about, uh, I mean, we don't really understand how this happens. Really, uh, because but we does have, it we happen?
0: I mean, when is the uh, how yeah, question? I, I think,
2: yes, certainly it happens. I mean, neural networks is something that definitely evolves over time, over generations, and well, uh, what about
0: atmospherics? Does it happen there? Is there a way of thinking of very local no, I, I don't interactions really think and changes leading to you know action at a very I, far away no, distance?
2: No, I don't
3: think that. No, I don't. No, I
2: don't it think doesn't. it happens in those systems at all.
0: Amit, can uh, I yeah, can, yeah, sure
2: can I sure come, come in course, in here? Of course, of course. Yeah, please.
3: The, it seems that uh, you know your emphasis on it's very interesting take that you have provided and talking about, but seems like a certain sense of biological determinism. So, if you look at, you know... Not the, really,
0: you know, evolution it,
3: doesn't... I'm uh, actually, yeah, not really it's a thinking very,
2: about it, determinism necessarily yeah, because, it, uh, in fact, most of the times yeah. uh, these days, uh, biological systems are not... Uh, modeled by deterministic dynamics at all they are modeled by stochastic dynamical systems Uh, so it's not really deterministic what Uh, what
3: I'm suggesting here there is implicit recognition that we are evolving so if you look at evolutionary biology and and the marriage between evolutionary biology and economist you know which is a fact today uh, my students are really intrigued about this, you know, marriage. <laughs> In the past, there was a divorce between biology and economists, but they are yes. not talking to each other. Yes. And this, I'm coming back to the idea of, you know, weak and strong. Seems like the evolution, and that's where robotics and artificial intelligence comes into play. Because they say that, you know, the dynamics we don't require, we can stop here and we can create a new body, you know, completely new, new system, right. which hasn't biologically evolved. Through evolutionary process,
0: but those are not emergent uh, entities, right? They are entities that you create.
2: Well, uh, so they, uh, so I mean, in the in the kind of world that I think you are trying to imagine, Ashwin. Yeah. Mm-hmm the robots and so on are actually emergent phenomena that yeah. that they are something that are evolving you are creating new entities new robotic entities but they have different properties than what you started with and they are in some sense evolving as well uh, it's is the sort of say imaginative no, but, view but, but, that you but, have uh, ashwin yeah, that but, you are trying to project yeah yes. so yeah. when
3: yeah. Uh, i'm here in the evening i'm going to release a, a novel mm-hmm. a fiction but one of the books last year I came across, uh, uh, Sanjeev, is titled, Cyborg. So mm-hmm. I asked the young poet, uh, you, Cyborg, know, it says, uh, yeah. Cyborg, you know, Cybrog. you know, the Cyborg, uh, you know, I come from humanistic traditions and rasa theory, Cybrog is a new creature. What is it? And the poet started asking me that, look, you know, you explain because you are a professor poet. So it seems that I'm more qualified. I I couldn't, uh, you know, uh, there was a sense of, you know, conundrum. There was a sense of puzzle for me Mm -hmm. that how do I explain this new creature? Uh, Because in poetic world, if you look at, uh, you know, Ramayana, Mahabharata, these are great epics but in the great epics, there is no cyborg bro yes. so this is this is something that i'm also i'm opening up a, you know new debate here that how do we deal with that that is something that has not evolved and then you are pitted against a system or a structure which is so new mm-hmm. but so mm-hmm. powerful so strong and 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 deterministic in the sense that uh, all the outcomes seems like efficient here. So Sanjib and Amit, can we think about uh, a possible imaginary world of market uh, controlled and regulated by these cyborgs and robotics, uh, producing efficient outcomes continuously, which is which is possible th- in that's, theory, that's, which is possible.
0: Yeah. I mean, a lot of things work in theory, but they don't seem to work in practice, and vice versa. Where are you on this, Sanjeev? Uh, So I was going to say,
1: I mean, already we know that there's a lot of automated trading in markets. Of course. You know, through algorithms, that's not something we we have to imagine. That's happening. <laughs> Good one.
3: <laughs> I'm a poet. I'm all the time dreaming and imagining things. Yes.
1: No, I mean, I, in I mean, addition to my social science training. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So I was just going to say there is a lot of
0: that happening. Is there? Uh, I mean, the one question I want to ask you is that if we think of systems, and for the, for a for a brief while, let's think of systems as being distinct from each other in some in some characteristic way. Mm-hmm what kinds of systems end up getting synchronized to each other is there is, is there a general way of saying right. that what leads to systems getting synchronized what leads to subsystems getting synchronized uh,
2: so that that's a that's a fairly uh, difficult question to answer at this stage in the sense that there's a whole different variety of different networks or differently connected systems that people have observed being synchronized uh, for for Okay, so the original work on synchronization really uh, started off by saying that as you make the coupling stronger and stronger, uh, there is more synchronization. And what does
0: it mean to make coupling stronger and stronger? How does, how, how is coupling made stronger and stronger?
2: Uh, f- so in 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 physical settings, it would be something like where where the effect of one system on the other is is stronger, right? right? So that that's just purely physical. Uh, I do not know exactly how that will play out in economics, for example. I, I haven't really I mean, thought enough about economics or political trained, theory and so on. Or, or yeah, exactly. If you have if you have closer friends, for example, Sorry. right, or something like that, uh, and that that strength of uh, coupling increasing strength of coupling leads to synchronization was one of the first observations but then uh, with a whole variety of different types of network people saw that as you keep increasing the strength more and more that doesn't quite play out that is they become synchronized but at some point they can become desynchronized as well uh-huh. they become s- even s-
0: more strong. After increasing in strength and synchronization after
2: increasing the strength even more than where it was synchronized the s- the synchronization is lost. Because and one if of that the, happens, the then it's not unclear exactly what the controlling factor really is. It was taught to be strength, but that's not quite the case. Uh, it is true so that extremely weakly cu- coupled systems tend not to synchronize. Uh, but that's, I'm really talking of physical systems. I know nothing about but what are the limits? The political here? economic systems, whether that happens no, or not. That's fine. But, so what, uh,
0: but what are the limits yeah. here, Amit? So for example, if there were to be a tornado, if there were to be some kind of a sea yeah. storm... Yeah. Why does it never happen that it becomes so strong that it totally destroys the planet? You know, I think that's the question. What What are yeah, the out So limits? okay.
2: So in in the in the context of uh, atmosphere ocean sciences, there will be I there mean, are, are one can pose
0: that similar question in other domains, right? Why aren't there networks where it's it's just one hub and everything else is connected sure. to that, and right, so on and right. so on, right? Yeah. So
2: yeah, yeah. So in 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 these contexts, uh, in the atmosphere, ocean, and so on, uh, there are very strong constraints because of for example energy other conservation laws like things uh, things like vorticity and so on so you can't re you can't go beyond certain limits that are set by the system well, so for example energy uh, so energy certainly is conserved that we know uh, of course earth is not a closed system we receive energy from the sun but that how much we receive is very well known right uh, so you can't go beyond those limits at all so you can't have a tornado that will destroy the whole earth because we don't we simply do not have that much energy available is there in the ocean atmosphere system is there a way of putting some kind of
0: an upper limit to this is there a way of saying that this is uh how no I, I don't know if a storm. generic
2: answer it will be really system dependent hmm. uh for example storms yes so there cannot be a single tornado that will destroy the whole of the earth that that constraint is uh, there are essentially two constraints because of vorticity the rotation of the earth and the energy that is received from the sun so those two constraints will stop something like that from happening for this specific example now can the temperature say reach uh, 70 celsius all over the earth or not uh current at least as of now the the kind of system that the kind of understanding that we have that will not happen i mean it can ri- rise by a few degrees and so on but not say 70 celsius uh, so there are there are these constraints which do put limits very strong limits uh, but they don't come from uh, the structure of the network itself they are in some sense external constraints of how the system is the whole system as a, yeah, is built
0: and when and you say systems are coupled is there exchange of matter and energy or is it could it be just uh, one, it unidirectional could be,
2: uh, it could be unidirectional it could be bidirectional it could be a physical exchange of things mm-hmm. or it could be just exchange of information as well so these phenomena are also observed in internet where no, there is no the physical thing? it's purely information exchange and similar synchronization desynchronization are they strictly
0: uh, analogous uh,
2: mathematically, they're exactly analogous. Yes, right. and the only thing that changes is what is exchanged: right. uh, information, energy, matter. I would imagine in economics, it would be uh, something like, like costs and. Uh, what,
0: what, what is yeah. what is a good response to the analogous question in your domains, Sanjeev? Yeah, how, so does I, yes. about, uh, how does one think about? How so, does one think about?
1: Yeah, so you were talking about you know limits to how much a network can agglomerate, right?
0: So one of the things I think that's very um, how strong can a hub get? How yeah, strong? so how,
1: this is one of the things that's very striking, um, um, and and actually, it's it's we can spend if, if we can spend two minutes on this. Is so what happens is that if you look at um, if you look at um, you know if you look at Twitter. Okay, so what happens on Twitter is that there is this thing, I can follow you, right? And and you can tweet and you can retweet. So, so that's the way the network is set up. So what you see on Twitter is um, uh, most people, practically everyone has very few followers, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 followers. Um, um, but there are people with 30, 40 million followers, right? So um, uh, certainly Obama had some... 100 some, million. And, and I don't know, I uh, imagine Trump, you know, uh, but also there are celebrities, you know, sure. major actors, you know, and who are having millions of millions of and millions. Of, so that's a, it's not quite a single hub, but it is quite different from Facebook, where if you look at the number of friends people have uh, in social relationships, that's quite bounded. In fact, it's, it's pretty sharply bounded. That's a network where if I'm friends with you, you have to be friends with me. Whereas on Twitter, I can follow you without you following me. You know, in fact, normally, when I follow you, you will not follow me. You don't even know if I exist. right so so there's a sense in which that protocol of the linking places some constraints, you know on how much how how much cent- centralization you can have. I think on Twitter, you can have a lot more than on Facebook. Uh, so th- you can think of that as a physical constraint or resource constraint. Uh, but you can think of cities. But this you know.
0: is not entirely protocol-dependent. Of course, if you have different kinds of protocols, you get different kinds of network structures. But if you wanted to come up with a protocol that would lead to 100% centralization with one one hub being connected to everybody else, could you do that?
1: Yeah, I mean, the constraint would be that the person, you know, generally the physical constraint is that if you, you know, the person may not be able to cope with that level of activity. So just sure. simply, you know, that's the sort of, but but that's time constraint. Okay. Yeah, but but you know, but but that's the only sense in which you know these networks are constrained, and you can see it with the size of cities. You have cities which are 25 million people. I think 100 years ago it would have been considered absolutely unbelievable. Yeah.
0: some people would have declared it impossible. Yeah. So so, but, but now but, you
1: see this agglomeration, extraordinary agglomeration.
2: But but the networks you mentioned, for example, Twitter, uh, is essentially a unidirectional network. Yes, that's what I was yeah. saying. Uh, yeah. and uh, but. But Facebook is by definition a bidirectional network, whereas uh, airlines networks can be possibly. But airlines do have st- very strong hubs. Yes, they do, and they, do. Uh, they are bidirectional as well. Yes, I mean, they are. So, yes. uh, yeah. Yeah. although so in, the
1: constraint there is the size of the airport. size of the airport, the yeah.
2: physical constraint yeah. of how yeah. much airport, and can those handle are very slow and, to change for obvious reasons. Then, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh.
0: But do these do these automatically create resilience? I mean, how does one how does one think of that? So I've actually yeah, there is yeah. there is something resilient about a planet, right? That a tornado yeah. uh, gone freak cannot you know, just destroy the planet. now. it's it's uh, nobody has built that in, uh, but but you know there are whatever external constraints take care the, of it. External
2: constraints essentially the energetic constraints it. and take care of it. So Physical this
1: resilience question is a central question in the study of networks and actually network systems, and and I think that. So there's a very famous paper by Laszlo Barabasi. Uh, and As I said, it's a classical problem. So Robert May has some very famous theorems on this. So Barabasi et al. have a paper, I think it's in Nature, where they argue that supposing you take a highly centralized network with hubs and it's attacked. But it is attacked randomly. So let's say 10% of the nodes are knocked out. It's very unlikely that you will get a hub because you're going to knock nodes out at random so you could knock out a lot of nodes and you will not get another your, hub a, a hub right so so the network is very resilient to random attacks but it is very vulnerable to a targeted attack so you could attack the hub if you attack the hub you have knocked it out and uh, so this is of course as you can all we can all imagine the most famous example of this is you know, an attack on the Indian parliament or right. maybe an attack in New York, right? On That's Green a That's, you know, it has yes. this resonance. So in some work that I did, um, what we did was we basically studied this problem from a more economic perspective. We said, you know, I can design a network and I have limited resources to protect this network. Um, you know, I can assign army and I can, you know, uh, reinforce some nodes and so on. And, and you have some attack resources. And you can attack nodes, And and what we showed was uh, quite the opposite, actually, of the Barabasi theorem. We said that in systems, in network systems, normally there is something known as um, a law that this value of the network is actually increasing sharply in the number of nodes that are connected right it's not linear it's actually convex it's increasing right. you know at an increasing rate right
0: some kind, some kind of a power law some
1: kind of uh,
0: right, super was, additivity
1: yeah. sure so in these systems we showed that what you really want is um, you want to pro- you want to create hub spoke structures and you essentially want to protect the hub that's your best bet and the idea then is that you know either the opponent will get the hub well, that's too bad, uh, but it's equally likely
0: that you will protect the hub. Right. So you get a bang bang solution. Not only is attack more easy, but also protection more easy. Is protection more easy? Yeah. Okay. And then you get a bang
1: bang solution. You either lose everything or you protect almost everything. Yeah. And in a system which has got the super additivity, so that's it's actually better kind of to a have balance bang of power, bang, which is. You know. It's better to have bang, bang.
0: How do you think of this, Ashwini? This whole balance of power resilience question. But do you, I I know you don't tend to think in physical terms. Do you tend <laughs> no, no, to think no, no, that I things do, are I going do. in? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> what are what are what other are other are natural limits to to these things? Are there natural limits to centralization? Are there natural limits to? Um, what kind of structures our systems can take? Are there natural limits to how resilient systems can be?
3: No, I'm, I'm thinking a little differently. I'm thinking more philosophically sure. and uh, also metaphorically. Uh, because see, all we have been talking about uh, uh, in certain sense of physicality. So when we are thinking about a uh, hub, when we are thinking about nodes uh, and protecting the hub, it seems like that uh, philosophically we are thinking in terms of what Nietzsche called master morality hmm. or slave morality. The hub is being made important. Uh, yeah, so hub uh, hub looks uh, and uh, Sanjeev you know mentioned that uh, very clearly that look you know uh, hubs needs to be protected. For instance, Indian Parliament you know attack or nine by eleven attack. Uh, So, part of the problem is here, and this I call uh, something symptomatic of what I call, uh, you know, influenced by Duluth and Guthari, is schizophrenic modernity. In this idea, there is a certain schizophrenia, which looks down uh, upon the idea of weak nodes, uh, the weak node networks. So, if you look at... uh, the, the the parliament even metaphorically parliament is destroyed there are 29 mini parliaments working in the country they would continue to operate through different systematic balance or resilience so what we need to do philosophically we need to contest this idea which is based on uh, again uh, a microeconomic uh, you know driven theory of uh, you know zero sum game that you started out with so here again resilience and non resilience i think i think that's not true in reality so i if you think look you
0: you bring in reality which is interesting so yeah. in real world yeah. sanjeev yeah. do there exist systems where the hub is everything now twitter is not, i'm not yeah. suggesting it's not real world but it's some kind of a play network let's call it it's important but you know um, so, so, in, so 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 yeah. coming back so if you if
3: you travel across and look at uh, especially existing uh, you know egalitarian systems of tribes Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow, that's why modernity is so schizophrenic, they've excluded those tribes, Latin America, Africa, because the entire paradigm of colonialism and imperialism was based on this strong hub idea. Mm-hmm. So, whole world dependence theory, etc., etc., use that idea that these are the hubs that need to be exploited for global extraction of revenue and building the empire. On the other hand, in reality, so it's good for efficiency, it's good for efficiency and efficiency is assessed in in terms of a, a eugenic theory. Imperialism was based on a eugenic, you know, that's where rather than using civility mission, they call it civilizing mission because civilizing itself acquires that property of hub, you know, located in the Western Empire rather than the Eastern world. I would say in reality, resilience is far more diffused, Sanjeev and uh, Amit. You just think about it, uh, you know, uh, I come from a little bit of, you know, chaos theory understanding. A small little butterfly can result into large systemic changes. They need not to be powerful, strong hubs, you know, like, uh, like in the... Christopher Nolan's, uh, you know, world, Hollywood world, you know, that's not kind of a Gotham world, you know, or Gotham City. Somehow in the Western imagination, the hub has acquired that uh, fictional, mythic, uh, you know, imagination of a Gotham city.
0: There is no, th- is there a center and a core to your systems, the physical nope, system? there isn't. There so isn't. As so I said at the very beginning, there isn't systems. a single yeah. <laughs> node
2: that's more important than any other node. Yeah, New so York, there is or, you know, there, there no, is no even, single single. E- even uh, as regions, idea. there
0: are no cores to, I mean, we're not saying yeah. one node or the specific place or the specific yeah space point no not
2: specific space point
0: Do, but because of uh, uneven
2: distribution of certain physical quantities say energy and and so on uh, certain places not not a single node as such so for example the antarctic ice sheet right that yeah. is that is a very important place for sure Right. <laughs> right. It's not that uh, melting of that is has going to have no effect at all. Uh, so there are important places, but the importance is not acquired by the structure of the network. It's acquired by uh, the current properties of the solution. And those could change in time. Right. right. So if, if the whole ice sheet melts and eventually after 200 years we cope up with it, then that place will not be important anymore.
0: So freely, Something else may become so freely mm. evolving systems are unlikely to have even semi-permanent hubs would, or are we using the word hubs a little generally cores or would, would that be accurate? Yeah, I think
1: yeah, I mean it's kind of I mean, my, my impression is that um, yeah, we have to look upon these results and these you know, with due care because I think systems are very rich they are very diverse and you can easily imagine contexts where you would want to have very flat systems. They are actually more resilient right. rather than centralized systems. In fact, I have done some work where, where you have certain environments where you want to have very flat, non-hierarchical systems. So it depends. One has to be careful, you know, um, just sort of
0: be... Coming I, up with one...
1: Yeah, I, oh. I think, yeah. It's just that I, I think that you know it depends on the environment and the dynamics what sort of systems are going to be robust uh and what sort of systems are so quite apart from robustness what sort, of sort of systems so, 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 so. are going to deliver you know welfare deliver you know
3: so sanjay on a lighter note it's not like gotham city you know <laughs>
1: i've never thought of gotham city i mean i've seen all these films but but i i think that it's... I, such mean, I, I think favorite guy, Batman. you want yeah, to Batman, have, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, there are environments. So, you know, my analogy would be more biological Yeah. that there are viruses where you need to have actually very decentralized defense mechanisms. Uh, but there are also contexts where you may want to have very centralized mechanisms. Uh, so it's not
0: centralization or decentralization per se, yeah. but obviously in a specific context for a specific kind of problem and so on. Yes,
1: yeah, so, so I think, you know, uh, so for instance, you know, there's a whole idea that flat organizations are have, necessarily
0: better. Are uh, better than,
1: let's say, hierarchies in it, some, in this fast-moving environment. obviously a But there idea. are other contexts where, you know, hierarchies dominate. Right. So that's, you know, organization theory sort of context. So, so I think it really is a, my view would be, it's really a matter of the environment, the different, factors that are at work, you know, what sort of systems work.
0: So what's the future? Why don't we end with this? Where is, where is all of this headed? Um, how could one think of, you know, both human institutions and otherwise? What are the open questions? What's worth thinking about?
3: Quickly, it comes to my mind uh, that uh, uh, looking at uh, uh, the philosophical movement I'm looking at currently, uh in various ways, uh, affecting all the disciplines and our imagination, I think world is becoming far more fluid place. So this whole binary of strong and weak, uh, if you go back, uh, I think I'm going to go back uh, to Polyani again. Like Sanjeev started out with Polyani, I think I'm looking at world as a multiplex of more fluid, uh, you know, uh, hops and nodes. I'm looking at world. Uh, uh, becoming uh, all over, you know, uh, not not the false binary again in terms of centralization and decentralization although this theme is very strong in economics, uh, decentralization and centralization but my sense is, my sense in, and again coming from poetics, uh, you know, yeah. the whole tradition of poetics uh, the world has always been shifting, more fluid uh, and that's, that's kind of a world that I would imagine. And I would also imagine that we need to learn to live with a, a certain sub-optimality and certain inefficiency. The philosophical and ontological uh, challenge for us is that we are uncomfortable as a human being, as a race, with idea of inefficiency and sub-optimality.
0: So you think uh, seeking extreme efficiency could be risky? It's very, very risky. It's rather dangerous,
3: you know. It's very dangerous. And it's only, if you look at the history of economics, that only came, the terms of optimality is a 19th century fad, you know. It's not 17th, 16th century. Going to go back to Adam Smith, Ascan Smith's, you know, moral sentiment. He never refers to the idea of inefficiency and suboptimality. Because he knew, he anticipated. Are,
0: are, are, yeah. are your systems... I mean, I, this, is a, this is an interesting idea, right? This idea of kind of being okay with oh, suboptimality optimality yeah. a little bit. Uh, yes. You now, obviously, your systems are different and hopefully human beings are not playing with it too much. No, it's just yeah, contentious. I, I, All of I, us know actually that. Actually,
2: I think they are. But <laughs> but think they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are playing it with it so way too much. I,
0: <laughs> is there a great deal of... Sub, I mean, how efficient are these systems? How... Uh, uh, no, so I think... Uh, I, the, How is the, most, the most common
2: uh, theoretical basis of uh, of physical theories are based on optimization actually but uh, I, I do agree with with uh, with ashwin that see th- so that does apply to physical laws uh, as we know them
0: no but physical but phenomena another thing per physical se physical right? phenomena
2: and yes but not necessarily to uh, systems completely out of equilibrium so systems like like the earth or human systems and so on where there are many uh, fails, where there are many, yeah okay. so that so for example I don't think anybody can really write down uh, the problem of how the evolution of the earth is going to go forward as a optimization problem at all yeah. Right. Uh, it is true for for cricket balls and for you know for 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 systems which can are. Can you in do that for if
0: not for Earth? Can you do that for the atmosphere or only the ocean or only no. the icebergs? Uh,
2: no. In fact, thinking how, of just one of these systems down, is not uh, really. It doesn't really work at you all. You know the problem uh, is that the and Earth
0: and cricket ball are at opposite extremes. Uh, so are, are, are exactly where does extremes? it meet? Um, uh, a
2: p- that's a really big question. Where I mean, how many cricket balls do you really need to together to say that oh now you can't apply optimization to it. Yeah, <laughs> so how, how many uh, so i mean this is really a diff- very difficult mathematical question and you have only 20
3: overs to play you know 20, 20.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so typically the statistical are there, are there kind of system which phenomena? have mm, which are of the order of avocadro number of particles right. have a very different behavior certainly than systems with a few particles Right. But now going from a few to Avogadro number, there is a huge gap. And right. we just don't know how the scales, at what scale do you really, we don't understand the intermediate scales at all. And the and dynamics so are, very where, different, different uh, are very different at different scales. Are very different at different scales. So we don't really know the answer to uh, where to make this cut at all right now.
0: What's the future, Sanjeev? So I think, uh,
1: you know, I I live in England and um, one of the, uh, most striking things that's happened in England over the last few years, um, so I'll, is is of course Brexit, and and of course Brexit is related. It's not an isolated sort of thing. Brexit is related to what's happening in in France. It's what's happening in sure in America, and and I think it's also very closely related to what's happening in China and India. It's just the uh, and and I think we are living in a time where my sense is all the, um, you know, measurements people have seem to suggest there's a lot more connectivity.
0: How does one uh, assess it systematically? Is all of this going to keep increasing in intensity and they'll all couple with each other? I know there are human beings part of it. and, you know. and
1: So we have connectivity and, you know, good services, travel and information flowing. Um, I, but I think the challenge at the moment... To, whether it's in India to some extent, but I think much more striking in Europe is we are at a time where it seems that uh, instead of moving towards more global institutions and global transparency, political and cultural movements looking out and globalizing, in fact, the tendency is to become parochial. But well, know, I mean,
0: I know these have uh, positive and negative connotations, but isn't it isn't it okay? It may be becoming a more no, I think we've just discussed a little while ago that there's centralization, decentralization. Now, globalism globalism or globalization is a certain form of centralization, a certain kind, at least one mode of doing the whole thing.
1: Well, maybe you could think of it as homogenization. Homogenization. Yeah, no, I, I, no, I, I know say, that's not the yeah, register
0: on you talking.
1: But I think in terms of, uh, I mean, my my sense is that I think we have to think more and more not in terms of narrow disciplinary within narrow disciplinary boundaries. I think the heart of some of these issues on Brexit and so on—it's really you have to combine economics with sociology, you know, with political science to under- begin to understand how to think about these things. And and I think that's very challenging. And and my sense is that um, that's very important uh, because I think ultimately it's the ideas we have about ourselves and about our possibilities. Right. that make things happen right and if you don't you know so
3: no i just wanted to come in and my own sense uh, amit and sanjeev is uh, that we have looked at uh, you know from the perspective of economics sociology and also politics But the point that I'm trying to look at uh, a different kind of ontology, you know, there is a larger crisis of ontology in understanding these fundamental issues of uh, how do we think about uh, our relationship uh, with the world around. And I think if you look at uh, the, the way philosophers have been struggling to to comprehend the twitter the facebook uh, and the new metaphysics of liquidity liquid modernity i think both time and space amit if you look at time and space has become surplus and also paradoxically superfluous we are living in an era of of, of fluidity and superfluidity of where everything time is in and excess. excess. yeah mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. is in excess and everything is in it's becoming superfluous too yes yeah. so imagine you know the credit card the, the, that i used in cambridge <laughs> and the credit card that i used here and the place where i travel in other other remote areas where credit card don't work at all so seemingly in this kind of chaotic understanding about uh, you know, both time and space if you look at historically the history of time and space that we have received has been revolutionized and transformed completely so we need to think about uh, you know, strong and weak or structures and nodes differently given the emergent world of fluidity and superfluidity of time and
0: space. Terrific Terrific, that's a good note to end this on thanks to all of you for making it, and we look forward to having you soon again. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank
3: you. Thank you.